Holy Spirit, we ask you that you would come in power and glory, that we wouldn't walk away here impressed with uh, the person next to us, behind us, in front of us, the, the building we're in, anything like that. The focus wouldn't be on that uh, or the song or the instruments or uh, the sermon, anything, but we, we would be entranced by Jesus. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, I apologize for the, uh, the little technical things going on. I know it's me because I always, I, I just, if I touch things technically, man, I can, I can mess them up pretty fast. I was printing, trying to print out my notes upstairs just a little while ago, and I'm like, the printer's not working, the printer's not working, the printer's not working. Eric's up there, and he says, he comes over to my computer, and uh, as a good tech guy would, and said, well, you're trying to print it. He shows me I'm trying to print it to the printer that's on Bob Wallace. And uh, that doesn't work too well. So I uh, appreciate y'all's uh, patience with me and all the technical stuff. Uh, guys, we've been uh, this month uh, in a time that we've been talking about metaphors. Uh, metaphors that connect us to Jesus, but that also connect us to this location that we're in right now. And uh, the first week, uh, we talked about rock and how this place sits on a, a limestone hill. Um, but we got to the place and talking through that Jesus is our rock. Last week we talked about water. You got the big spring uh, right here, but yet we got to the place where we talked about Jesus is the place where all our fountains should be, that we should drink nowhere else except from Jesus. Now today we're going to talk about bank. We're going to talk about treasures. And I, I want you to know that, um, man, we're going to be all over. There's maybe more scriptures than we've done in a, in a sermon I, I, before, um, and so just be ready to flip back and forth, or the stuff will be up on the screens, because the guys uh, have been working on that. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's, a, there's a couple, uh, or actually there's a bunch of them on the table over there, feel free to stand up and go grab one if you need one, and if you don't have a Bible, just take it with you, we'd love to invest that uh, within you. Um, uh, this this message uh, was was uh, interesting because I, I ended up cutting five pages last night of notes, and there's probably another two or three pages that that may need to be cut. But we just trust that God is going to going to speak in this service right where He wants to, and in the next service right where where He wants to. But we'll be all over and just asking the Lord to bless bless the time. Um, so talking about a bank, talking about storehouses, first of all, let me give you a little history about the building that we're in right now. Um, uh, I need you guys to probably set that to help me out. Thanks. Um, the, uh, this, the, the first bank on this premises was in 1816. Uh, it was called the Planters and Merchants. And I'm going to give you more, more history next week on the city as a whole, which will feed more into... Um, that your understanding of this, but, um, but Huntsville was, was experiencing some growth and some boom back in, in the early 19th century, and so they, they needed to establish uh, a bank for all the planters and for all of the merchants that are around here, and that's what they called it. In 1835, this building was, was built, or a building was built right here called uh, the State Bank of Alabama, um, uh, brought on the, you got the Greek, uh, Greek architecture there, um, Henry Steele, I think was the name of the guy uh, that did it, as well as several other houses that are still uh, in the downtown area. Um, and it became known not only as State Bank of Alabama, but moved to become the National Bank of Huntsville, then the first National Bank, and the first Alabama Bank, and the final bank was Regions Bank, which closed in 2010. And so this, this bank 
um, was and is the oldest bank uh, to, to have run and had, had a, an existence of other, any other bank uh, within Alabama. Now let's talk a little bit about the good, the bad, and the ugly about this bank. Um, during this time, cotton was king. And, and so there were, I'm trying to think, I think there, they said there was around 1,000 pounds of cotton per acre. Uh, that, that's, what, that's the fertility and, and the, the fruit that took place um, in cotton fields around here. Just so fertile for that. And tons of land sales between those, that kind of wealth, that kind of money. There was a need for creating the bank. Therefore, again, 1816, the Planters and Merchant Bank was created. Now, the bad. Um, during, um, during the war, Union soldiers came. They overtook the town for a time. And you may have heard this story, but there was a time in which a teller took all of the bank's money, put it into a bag, went into that room right over there, and stuffed it up in the chimney. Now you can go, and the chimney is still there. The money's not, but you can go, and you can go, and you can go take a look, and just see, and touch, and feel, and just try to take, your back, take yourself back to the, to the story there. There's some mythology that goes with this bank. Uh, some have said that Jesse James robbed this bank. And that's a wonderful story, but there's like no shred of evidence that he ever did. However, a myth that most likely is true is that Frank James had, uh, had a gun here because he had to use it for collateral for bail when he was arrested right across the street uh, at, at the courthouse. And so that one's probably true. Um, and when you see the holes that they say were shot uh, by Jesse James, um, you don't have to believe that one. Um, so that's some of the good and a little bit of the bad. The ugly, though, about this bank is, is very ugly. It goes all the way da- back to the beginning days, the planters and merchant uh, bank. Um, the, the men that would come and they would, they would take out a mortgage, they, they'd get a loan to purchase land to be able to build a, a cabin uh, or maybe to start uh, cotton fields. Um, they would uh, they'd put up all that they had as collateral and part of what they would put up as collateral were what? Slaves. So the ugly part of that, that's ugly enough that, uh, that slavery existed uh, in, in our past, uh, in, this, in this nation, in this, even in this city. Um, but what was even worse was when they would default on their loans, they would take these slaves and there is a holding place that you can go down that's just below the youth room where they kept the slaves. And uh, the, there was a, a part uh, that I, it's where I think there's an old, there's an old bathroom there is must be where they had the cesspool uh, for them to take care of business, but they would keep them locked away. Basically, it was a dungeon. Uh, horrible, horrible things that took place uh, to the slaves um, as collateral. Um, to try to connect biblically um, with the concepts of, of banks and uh, storehouses, probably the best place to go is, is to talk about the guys who were the, the tax collectors. Now, tax collectors were looked down upon, um, but it wasn't just because they took the people's money. Uh, the reason why tax collectors were so hated is because the money that they, they took, they were being paid by the Romans. I mean, they were employed by the Romans who, who held everybody in, in captive, uh, captivity here. Uh, there in, in Israel. The reason why they were so hated was the money that they paid to these tax collectors 
were funding the very Roman army that oppressed them. And so they hated these guys because they were in bed with the enemy. Now, as you, if you think about that, and you think about um, this, the lowest of the low uh, of, of a criminal, people who are hated and despised, now that's where you've got to start seeing a picture of Jesus Christ. Luke 15.1 says this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. That's all I'm going to give you from that passage. Um, But it's potent right there to think that those who were the criminals, those who were looked down upon more than anyone else, they were drawing near to Jesus Christ. And and, and as, as we get to this, this is, we're actually, I, I'll let the cat out of the bag, we're going to end right back at that verse at the very end. Because the same Jesus that, that drew sinners to him back then draws sinners to himself right now. And he does it through you and through me. Matthew 21, 31 to 32 says this, Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness. You did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And so what Jesus said at this point was, look, it doesn't matter what you think about other people. What really matters is is how they respond to me. And so I, I throw that out to me and, and to you as well, is, is that it doesn't matter how great you think you are or even how low you think you are. All that really matters is, what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with Jesus? Um, banks are, uh, are not evil places. They're not bad places. Money is not a bad or an evil or a wicked thing. They're, uh, banks uh, and, and money, it's, it's amoral. It's, uh, not, it's neither moral nor immoral. Um, banks, stocks, 401, 401k, or if you're a part of a, a nonprofit organization, 403Bs, uh, your, your mutual funds, if you're a parent and you try to get an educational savings accounts for, for your, uh, your children to be able to, to save money uh, for college, things like this, these are good places to put your money. Good places. But they're bad places to put your heart putting it into money, putting it into your financial security. It's, it's good to save. It's good to prepare. But it's bad to put your future and your hope within them. Is there something wrong with stuff? There's not. Um, they're one, of, one of the earliest heresies that took place in, in the early church was one of Gnosticism, which said that only things that are immaterial are good. Anything you can touch or feel is tainted, it's evil, it's wicked, and that's not the case at all. God made this world. He made creation. Um, he, made, he made you, and He gave you, gives you strength and gives you abilities. And you can use those for your glory, or you can use those things for His glory. You can use money for your glory, or you can use it for, for God's glory. And one is incredibly good and holy and godly, and the other one is just wicked. And I'm on that side uh, too much in my life. Um, but there's nothing wrong with the stuff. There's nothing wrong with money. And in fact, it's, it's all relevant anyway. Um, the, uh, the, the, the projects uh, here in Huntsville um, are at a level that they're nicer or right about 
the case of what many, many of the nicer homes in Kenya or, or in, another, in another third world country, of, of the, the nicer places, but yet you go overseas, and yet, but you don't have air conditioning, you don't have TVs, you don't have cable. And so even among those who, who might be considered poor, um, whether they take care of themselves or others take care of them, are, are better off, materially I'm talking, than most people within the world. And so rich and poor is very relative in, in its terms. And so it's not about whether we can have stuff or not. The question is, does the stuff have us? Things are not wrong, but the posture of self-fulfillment is. Uh, let me read to you guys a little bit from a pretty well-known uh, song by Frank Sinatra. It says, I, I'll just get, read a couple of excerpts here. He says, I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. For what is a man? For what is a man what he is... What has he got, if not himself, that he is not, to say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels? The record shows I took the blows and did it my way. And so, Frank actually, you know, saying of, of the world's philosophy is like, no, man, it's just up to you. Do your own thing, and when it's all over, man, don't bow to anyone. You stand up and you do your own thing, and do it your way. And that's, that's logic. That's the way we're born into this world is just to say, you know what, I, I just want to do what I want to do. And it takes an encounter with God Himself to change that, to change our hearts. Um, Revelation 3 speaks, speaks a little bit to this type of, of an attitude. Revelation 3.17 For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. The, the point being in this is that if we get to a place where you say, man, I don't, I don't need anything. Uh, and in fact, you may, you may have a friend or you may be one of my friends who you say, you know what, Dave, I... I just don't even like this whole concept of sin where you say, I, I'm not okay, that I need a Savior in my life. Dave, I'm okay. I'm all right. I don't need anything. I'm doing fine just myself. And God says, no, you're not. You're a broken, broken person. And the harder you try, the harder you fall. God says, I came because you're falling. You know, um, it's interesting that these days we have everything at our disposal, especially in kind of middle-class America, and I'd say particularly here in Huntsville, Alabama, is we have so much accessible to us. And, and, and I, we're going to talk more about that uh, next month when we get into the series on, on Ecclesiastes, about having, having everything. Um, but, but we need to have wisdom. We need to have wisdom in, in, in what we do and, and how we how we view the things we have. I mean, because again, stuff can be used wrong or it can be used to God's glory. And so we need wisdom to utilize and invest our actual resources. But today, we're going to focus mainly on what are heavenly treasures and what is kingdom investment. 
So earthly treasures, what, what are they versus heavenly treasures? Well, simply enough, they're, they're just what we have here on earth. It's the things that we have um, accessible for ourselves. Um, and again, God made these things. But we must know that we actually don't own anything. That You may even have a deed or a mortgage to something, but you really don't own it. You don't. God owns everything. In fact, you don't even own yourself if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, then what's, what's taking place is you're now what's called a bond slave, a bond servant to Jesus. You've been, you've been bought by Christ. You say, well, Dave, I don't, I don't really like that terminology. I don't want to be a slave. Well, you really don't have an option because you're either a slave to your own desires and a slave to this world or you're a slave to Christ. And slavery to this world, slavery to what's called our flesh is something that that hurts, that, that damages us. The slavery to Christ is what brings us freedom in our life. Hebrews 13, 5-6 says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And so, you know, money again is, is not the root of all evil. How many of y'all, you heard, you heard sometime in your life, money is the root of all evil? Raise your hand if you heard that, alright? I did, I heard that. Um, you realize that there's a word missing from that, right? It's the, not money that's the root of all evil, it's the love of money. And God's saying, keep your life free of it and be content. Um, does this mean don't be a goal setter? Don't have a five-year or a ten-year plan? Don't be thinking about your future children or your current children's, you know, uh, education in the future? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is that, that you, you, don't, you don't bank on, on your future and you don't, you don't try to do things that uh, are outside of God's will, that you press in and say, God, you be my center. You be my source. So what are heavenly treasures? Matthew 6, 19-24 says this, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You guys say, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, what's interesting about that is, if you serve money... And, and your life is about money and what you can get, you will never live your life for Christ. And yet, if you flip it and say, God, I, I want to live my life for you. I want to live for your glory. Then what happens is God will allow you and help you to take money and use it. And use it in great ways. And some of you, I mean, God's going to give, God's gonna give just, just kind of a, a, a meager existence. You're just going to kind of get by. And... And, uh, and you're not going to be necessarily way in, in debt, you know, but, but you're not going to have 
You're not going to have the house on the hill. You know, you're not going to have you're not going to have the expensive car. Um, you're not going to be able to send your kids to to an Ivy Ivy League school. But you're just going to you're going to get by. But then there's some of you that God is going to give tremendous abilities to create wealth. And it doesn't matter which side it's on. If you're if you make less money or you make more money, either way, you do it for God's glory. Either way, you say, God, how can I share? I mean, if it's, there's never a point in which you really have enough money to share. You really don't. You start where you are. You start with a lack and say, God, I'm going to share right where I am. Because if you're, if you're waiting till you get to a certain net worth before, and say, at that point, I'm going to become a giving person, you will never, ever be a giving person. Start with where you are. And, and just say, all right, God, I, I'm, I'm content in the abilities you've given me to create wealth at whatever level that is. And, and press forward and do everything you can with what he's given you. And, and, and create and do everything you can, especially for his glory and for his kingdom, and, and to provide materials and, and money to, to press, press missionaries all over this world. If you only make about 1% of, of uh, what your rich neighbor does, man, it's still, it's still good to give that and to press it into God's, God's kingdom. Let's talk a little bit about what heaven, heavenly treasures are not. Luke 12, 15-16, And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, take care. Guard against covetousness. Now, covetousness, to covet, means that, that you want what somebody else has. All right? You, you like what they, what they have. And, and you'd, like to have, you'd like to have that as well. Um, now, envy is a place where not only do you, would you like to have the same type of thing that you have, but you'd like to have it and take it away from them and give it to you. And so that's just kind of a, a deeper level of, of wickedness when we when we move into that but regardless don't look around and 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 love what everyone else has but look and just say God how can I how can I love the what what you've done for me and what you've already given to me Luke 12 says this I will say to my soul soul you have ample goods laid up for many years relax eat drink be merry but God said to him fool this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. God's saying, look, you can accumulate a lot of stuff, but you can't take it with you anyway. You know, you ever seen a, you ever seen a hearse behind what? I mean, excuse me, you ever seen a, a U-Haul behind a hearse? You know, never seen it before because you can't. You can't take it with you. Matthew 19, 20-22, says, The young man said to him, All these I've kept, talking about the law, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now some people have taken that out of context, this story, and said, Okay, if you're really a godly person, you sell everything you have. You, you give it all away. And that's not the story of the Bible. You don't, you don't see that. That is the story of this man. 
Jesus knew his heart and said, look, what you're holding on to is tripping you up. It's an idol in your life, and you're saying, that's where I find meaning, but I'm the only way that you're going to find meaning. So let go of all of the things and come and follow me, and you'll find real riches. And the rich young man said, no, sorry, not going to do it. Jesus was like, look, follow me. You will have treasures in heaven. Follow me. And he did not. I, I, hope, I hope he did at some point. Um, I don't know uh, if, he, if he ever came to a place of faith. But it's very true. Haggai 1.6 says this. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a, into a bag with holes. That is what American materialism and consumerism is. Okay? Now, again, now the, you know how you and I judge what's rich and what's poor? The person who owns more than us are rich. The people who are less than us, they're poor. And so it's a sliding scale anywhere you go. And so you can look and say, well, the guy that's got a nicer car than me, that guy's greedy, I guess. You know? The person that they, that they don't have as much as me, they're not as hard of a worker as me because I'm the center of the universe. You need to be careful. You need to take yourself out of the equation and say, God, help me to look through your eyes instead of just my eyes and stop trying just to judge where everyone else is and therefore even trying to find where I am according to things. Because it doesn't matter how much you have, it'll never be enough. Put it in bags with holes in it. It's more dangers of putting our trust in earthly treasures. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And some people would say, Well, there you go, that's prosperity theology. If you love Jesus enough, you're gonna have all the money you need. No, that's not what it's saying. That flourishing. Now, God may bring that in, in the form of, of money or, or influence, but primarily it's going to be the treasure of who God is Himself. You flourish. Even if you're at the bottom of the pay scale, you'll be full of joy and peace. Ecclesiastes 5.10 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. We're going to get there in just a few weeks in Ecclesiastes. If you love it, it will never fill that spot that's within you. 1 Timothy 6.10 For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. At this point, he's talking about people within the church, Christians, that they've wandered away from the beauty of grace. It doesn't mean they wandered away from God and they're no longer saved that they're going to go to hell. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying that they, they got away from the strength of the gospel because they looked, they looked for a, another Savior, a functional Savior, which can be found nowhere except for Jesus Christ. God, help me to stop looking. Help, help you to stop looking. So what are these heavenly treasures? 1 Timothy 6, 17-19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They're to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 
thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Now the treasure I think right there is not heavenly treasure as if you're going to get it when you're in heaven, but it's a heavenly treasure you experience when you're doing good, when you're being generous, you're, doing, you're sharing in your life, that in that you're storing up the, the blessings of God that will come right back to you relationally. That as you're giving, investing, sowing into people's lives, sowing into the gospel, sending people to, to study, to translate the Word of God into some of these languages. We just have a, a, a couple thousand more languages that need, that need to be translated so that people can hear the Gospel. And we've got a bunch of countries left where people still need to hear the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And people that will be end, up, end up sending, that they'll end up being killed. They'll be martyred. But we do that. We, we put our money, we put our time into the kingdom of God. We put it into, into people, into helping people, those that are helpless and that are, that are wounded, the, 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 the actual widows and orphans or, or the, the functional widows and orphans that God has placed around you. You can't help them all, but look around you. There's somebody. There's somebody that God wants you to, to share with. You, maybe a college student, you have real, really no, no real income. Well, Dave, how, how do I share? You know, well, think about your time. Think about how you can go and in, invest in somebody else's life. And you give. That's your real energy. That's all, all money is anyways is, is a trade for your time and energies. So go ahead and give it before it becomes the coin. Invest. Colossians 2, 2-3 says this that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the mystery all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge now here's we're getting to it guys the riches the real riches in life is what it's a full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, that's the mystery. Don't start looking of all these other obscure passages and, and weird doctrines to try to find the mysteries in the Bible. You know what the mystery is? It's Jesus. The mystery is why in the world would God love us at all? Why in the world would God become one of His creation and then live out the life that we should have lived and then die the death that we should have died and then raise again because you can't keep Him in the grave? Why would that have happened? That's the mystery. And, and what's great is God has said, look, I'm the mystery, and I love you, and embrace me, and you can know me, but I think forever and ever, we're always just going to go, God, I just still don't get it. I don't know why you would have ever done it, but thank you. Thank you. Praise you. Forever and ever, we just thank God for that mystery of His love. It makes no sense. It says, part of, the, part of that richness is, says we're, our hearts are encouraged because we're knit together in love. That's community, you guys. We talk about these three terms all the time. Jesus, community, mission. Jesus is the umbrella. It's all for Him. Everything's for Him. But He creates a community of, of faith, of Christians, a spiritual family. And from there, mission flows from the community of Jesus. And together, when we love one another and we knit, we knit, we knit each other's lives together, it's interesting that one of the things the Bible says God hates is He hates 
divisiveness. He hates dissension. He hates disunity among the spiritual family. You look around and, and you just, there's all kinds of things. You say, well, man, God, man, he just must hate, hate adultery and hate this kind of perversion and hate greed and all that. And he, and, and he, he despises all sin, but man, you don't, he really hates it when you start gossiping. When you start going around one another instead of being direct and instead of start talking about people rather than praying for them. He hates that. God wants to, to experience that treasure of heaven, which is community right here. Philippians 4. 11 to 12 talks again about another of the heavenly treasures. Philippians 4.11 Not that I'm speaking of beings in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Alright? That is life. Is there's times in which you're on the mountaintop, there's times when you're in the valley. There's times when, when you're in the middle of the recession and things are tight. They are, right? I don't know. But you know, there are times when there's just, there's just there's plenty. And, and it just, it, it goes like this all throughout life. And, and it's, the, the preacher in, in Ecclesiastes just talks about it. He says, it's vanity. You know, it's like a vapor. You know, it's, it's here today, it's, it's gone it's gone the other time. And, and the key and one of the, the treasures that God gives us is a peace to say, all right, God, wherever I am, no matter if it's high or if it's low, you're with me. So I'm rich. I'm wealthy. You can take away everything I have, just like Job. Take away all family. God, please don't do this, but take away my family. Take away everything that I own. Take away my good name. And take away even my own health. But God, if I still have you, I'm wealthy. I've got to be honest with you. I, I, I have difficulties with, with saying those words to God and just, just saying, all right, God, that, that's where I am. And yet I know that's the, heart of, that's the heart that God's given me is to say, God, I can be content with anything that you give me. Can you say that? Can you say, God, I'm okay with whatever you give or whatever you take away? It's easy to be on the one side. Hey, God, I'm, I'm, I'm really good at, at this side of it. You know, bring it on. Bring it on. I love you, God, when you're bringing it. But what about the other side when things are taken away? Can you be content? Can you still love and trust God in those times? 2 Corinthians 12, 10 speaks to this. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? Somebody read it to me. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Man, is that, is that counter logic? I mean, is that totally against what you would think to say, man, when things are taken away, when things are rough, then in the middle of that I experience strength, not because you're strong, because you're weak. But when weakness is, is shown, then God shows up and He shines when we're weak. So, content has less to do with our status of having a lot or having a little. Contentment is loving God, that God is the treasure. And that's the key and the core to this whole message today, is that Jesus is our treasure. 
Jesus is the one we go to. We, you, hopefully you have a bank. You have a place in which you've got your checking account or your savings account. You, maybe you have a 401k where you're setting things aside. Uh, but you, maybe you've got a big, a big can that, you, that, you, that you're stuffing change and a dollar here and a dollar there for, for that every other year vacation, whatever it is. You've got things that you're doing this, but just know that Jesus must be your bank. Jesus must be your mutual fund. He must be your trust. The one that you go to. Do you know one of the reasons why I think we can trust God so much and be content with God as being our treasure is knowing this. You are God's treasure. Look at me. Look at me. You are God's treasure. You are God's treasure. You are God's treasure. You are God's treasure. God treasures you. 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 You're the apple of His eye. What He did on the cross, He did for us. He did because He loves us. Again, it's a mystery. But embrace the mystery. Trust the mystery that God loves you and you are His treasure. And when you are God's treasure, that enables you to say, God, you are my treasure now. God, if you love me that much and are committed to my health holistically, you're committed to my well-being, if, if you love me that much, then I don't have to go anywhere else to trust for those things. God, you're my treasure. Deuteronomy 14.2 You are a holy people to the Lord, your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Now, again, this is talking about the Jews. And we're not the Jews. But the Jews were the beginning of the people of God that He chose. God has chosen us we're treasured possessions. God loves sinners, you guys. Matthew 9, 10 to 13. We go back to that tax collector for a minute, right? As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Guys, the Bible says that God came and he, he hung out. He tabernacles what John 1 talks about that he became flesh and dwelled among us. He came and he, he hung out with tax collectors and sinners just like you and me. And we didn't live back then, but the same Jesus that loved them loves us. He loves sinners. And if you're in here and you've never come to a place where you've said, I'm a sinner, I can't save myself, Jesus I, I surrender to who you are. Today needs to be the day. Tip over. Have that aha moment today. And surrender to Jesus. Let today be the day 
And for those of you guys who, you're, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, you're Christians, I just, I just say to you that, that you would be enamored with Jesus. And you'd know as a result of that, that Jesus is your treasure, that you just say, God, I want to know that more, and I want to help other people to find you as their treasure. And you love them, and you tell them, and you don't, you don't say, look at me because I've got it all together. You say, look at Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. You go. We started out today talking about the good, bad, and the ugly. That ugly part was that right down here there were, were slaves. They were kept. They were imprisoned in a dungeon right here. And you can go, if you want to, after we finish up, you can go down there and walk in it. And um, that is a true metaphor for the brokenness of the world. That we're, we're slaves. We're slaves to ourselves. I'm not going to get into being slaves to debt. That can come to another time. Being slaves to your other passions. But we are slaves to our own selfish desires. And God said, I'm coming and I'm going to free you. And so I just challenge you this morning that you would say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for the price that you paid for me. Thank you that you didn't leave me as a slave down in that dungeon, but you came when you ripped that door open and you said, come on, you're going with me. God, uh, help His Father to uh, embrace the truth, the reality that we can treasure You because You treasured us. You went through hell so that we could have You and You are what is, what is all hell heaven is. Thank you, Jesus, that you came and you took the shackles off of me and so many of my friends. And I pray that even today, that today be the day that those shackles are taken off a man, a woman, a student, a boy, or a girl. Today, the shackles